0: I want to share with you two different stories this morning. The first, a 16-year-old steps out into the sunshine on what might be the best day of his life. He is leaving the DMV with a driver's license in hand. It has taken him months of study, classes, of what felt like countless hours behind the wheel with mom and dad. But the day has finally arrived. The state of Minnesota trusts him to drive on any road in the state. Now, if his mom and dad would only trust him the same. (laughs) Already, but not yet. The doors of a little church burst open as the people fan out, bubble, bottles of bubbles in hand as they wait to, to announce the new husband and wife. The newlywed couple comes out and they are welcomed with cheers from the crowd and an onslaught of bubbles. This day has been long awaited for this couple, yet now they are here. He is her husband, and she is his wife. They have made commitments to each other that they will keep until death do they part. In the crowd there stands hand in hand an older couple admiring this joyous occasion. There is a tear in each of their eyes as they look back on their wedding day. They remember first looking into each other's eyes, on that beautiful day, with joy to finally call each other husband and wife. Yet the tears are not just joy from that day, but stem from a love that they have for one another that has deepened through the years as they have shared joys and trials that have made each of them a better husband and a better wife. These stories give us just a glimpse of different ways in our lives that could be described as already, but not yet. The 16-year-old already has his driver's license, but he has to wait patiently as he develops his driving skills and slowly earns his parents' trust. The newlywed couple are already husband and wife, but they are far from understanding what that means for their life. Like the older couple... Who are observing their wedding day in the letter to the Philippians Paul speaks of salvation the Philippians salvation but also our salvation as something that is already but not yet as Paul writes to the Philippians he is confident that these these members of this church are already saved Paul has a a deep and long history with the Philippian church. He's the one who first brought the gospel to the city of Philippi. He was there and saw them respond to the gospel in the midst of rather difficult circumstances. Paul references them as saints in the opening of this letter, thus referencing their salvation. And in chapter 1, verse 6, he says that God has begun a, a good work in you, thus noting the fact that God is at work in their lives. They are already saved. Paul also is confident that they, will one, that they will be saved when Christ returns and they are glorified with Him. In chapter 1, verse 6, we see, He who began the good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, Paul writes, But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So Paul writes to the Philippians and says, I know you're already saved, and I know that one day you will be saved. But in Philippians chapter 2, he makes an astounding statement. Let's pick up on Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul begins this this section here with this phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now Paul is not trying to confuse his readers here by doubting their salvation. As we've already noted, he is confident that they are indeed saved in Christ. And he's confident that they will one day experience final salvation and that's something they can look forward to. But as we wait for the day of that final salvation, we as Christians see here in this passage and in many other passages throughout the New Testament a call to sanctification, which means a call for us to grow more and more into the image of Christ. Paul's call for sanctification here to the Philippians comes at a difficult time for him and for the Philippians. Paul is writing this letter from a prison in Rome. And the Philippian church is struggling. They're struggling with some disunity within their membership. And they're also encountering encountering, uh, false teaching. And in this context, as Paul sees the struggling church, a church that he loves so dearly, he has an intense desire to see them grow in sanctification. Now, as we read this section this morning, this is not just an interesting historical study on the relationships in the ancient church. As Christians, these words are for us today. Having been saved by Christ's work on the cross, God calls us as believers to work hard at growing in sanctification, relying on the Spirit's ministry in our hearts, And the energy that he provides as we joyfully await the return of our Savior. We're going to see this sounded loudly and clearly in the text that's before us today. And as we read this text, we're going to see three different things. First, we're going to see uh, the call to sanctification in verses 12 and 13, we'll then see an example of what sanctification looks like in verses 14 and 15. And finally, we'll see the glory and the joy of sanctification in verses 16 through 18. Let's look here first, then, at the call to sanctification we see in verses 12 and 13. We read, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we see here, first of all, that sanctification is a call in our lives, and it is a call to work out. Now again, we have have to understand here Paul's thinking. He is not suggesting that salvation and works have anything to do with it as it relates to earning our salvation. He writes in other letters... uh, one being the book of Ephesians in verses 2, 8, and 9, very familiar text to us, that it is by the grace of God that we are saved through faith and not our own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest anyone should boast. Paul is not suggesting here that salvation is earned through our work. But salvation does have a result in our lives. And even as Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he writes in the very next verse, in in chapter 2, verse 10, for we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul tells the Ephesians, you as Christians should be working out the good works God has planned for you. And he writes to the Philippians and says the same thing here those who are saved are going to work to see their sanctification move forward. And while we read this passage and we're somewhat uncomfortable with the words salvation and work in the same sentence, I think it's important for us to understand that this here is God's word before us. And we need to seek to submit to what it says in our lives And I think we can see here what Paul is trying to say is that in light of the saving work God has done in your life, making you a child of God, work hard to act like a child of God. We see here in verse 12 that Paul links this sanctification work to obedience And the Philippians indeed have had a long history of obedience. As I mentioned, they first obeyed the gospel as they came to faith in the midst of difficult circumstances. Almost immediately, Paul is kicked out of Philippi and forced to move on in his ministry. And the church at Philippi sends financial aid to support Paul's ministry as he ministered in Thessalonica, as he ministered in Corinth. And even now as he sits in a prison cell, the church at Philippi has sent him financial aid to support him in his hour of need. They have a long and loving relationship here that has been brought about through their work and their service together. Paul knows that the Philippians have been faithful. They have obeyed. But yet Paul sees here that there's room for growth in the Philippian church. As I've mentioned, there's documented disunity in the church. Literally, there are some people who appear to be at each other's throats. And not only that, but there is this concern that false teaching is trying to creep into the church here in Philippi. And Paul isn't present with them to keep them accountable for obedience or to personally encourage them in their walk of obedience. And so Paul calls them to obey, even in his absence, as a part of this call to sanctification. We can see in Scripture that obedience is tied to loving faithfulness to God. Jesus' words are recorded in John chapter fourteen fifteen, where he says, "If you love me, you will obey my commandments." And the uh, the apostle John later wrote in First John chapter two verse three, "By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments." And so the changed life that God has created in us in salvation is evidenced by a growing obedience to God's commands. Thus, in light of Paul's call for continued obedience, even in his absence, Paul calls them to work out their salvation. This working out of their salvation is to be done in fear and trembling. Now we heard this morning Keith read for us Philippians 1, verses 27 through 30. And the, this, the text we're in this morning is actually part of a larger section of Philippians with this call to obedience and to live a life worthy of the gospel. It started in verse one, chapter 1, verse 27, continued through the end of that chapter. And then it's picked up again here in verse 12 and continues through the passage we'll look at this morning. In between, we have Philippians 2, verses 1 through 11, where Paul reminds us of Christ's perfect humility and his exaltation. We think about it. Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of the entire universe, humbled himself, being, becoming part of his creation, and beyond that humbled himself, becoming obedient to the Father, even to the point of suffering and dying, so that you and I can have eternal life, can have a renewed relationship with God. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus is resurrected and then exalted onto his throne where he he is on his throne uh, ministering as king now. And one day all of creation will kneel before him in worship. And these amazing truths that we have a relationship with God because the God of the universe humbled himself and died for you and for me, that he's now on his throne and is worthy of worship and honor, These amazing truths should affect how we serve Him. It should cause us to serve Him with fear and trembling. Now, as we consider this phrase, the fear of God, it's mentioned over 300 times throughout Scripture. And if you're an unbeliever, the fear of God is literally dread or terror because you're not looking forward to the salvation of God. You're looking forward to His judgment. But as believers, there is no dread or terror in this fear. We have been saved from our sins. Rather, this fear of God is one of reverence and awe. There's a sense in which we seek to hate our sin as much as God hates our sin, knowing how much it cost Him to save us from it. So Paul's message here is that Christ humbly died for you, paying the price for your sins. He is now exalted as Lord and Master over all things. Live for Him in worship with a sober reminder of the price He paid for you. We see here this call for us to work out our salvation, work out our sanctification. But we also see here that God is working in us for sanctification. And this is really important that verse 13 is there, because if we were to read verse 12 all by itself, we all probably have a natural tendency to think that I have to depend on myself and my own efforts and my own merits to achieve this sanctified life but we know that salvation is from God, that our salvation depends on the work of Jesus Christ, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, death, his triumphant resurrection, all of this for us, that we might know life. And so are we to think that now that we're united with Christ, that we can grow in sanctification without him? This idea of working hard in sanctification by the grace that God supplies. Paul writes to another church, the church in, Cor- in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians fifteen ten, where he writes to them, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. We can see in this verse and in the text before us this morning in Philippians that sanctification is only possible because God is at work in His people. So we see in verse 13 that God is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So first of all, He is at work to will, literally to produce the desire of godliness in your heart. Is there a sense in your heart that your sin is undesirable and that you want to defeat the sin in your life, you want to change, you want to grow and become more like God, this desire is from God. Do you notice in your life maybe areas where you're weak and you want to grow and strengthen those areas so that you can use those things to serve God? That is a desire that God has given you. Do you sense that you do not know God as well as you should? And so you have this desire to be in the Word and to come to church and to sit under the preaching and the teaching of God's Word that you might know Him better? That is a desire that God has given you. Do you even have moments in your life when you don't want to read your Bible, but you sense that it's such an important piece to your life that you bear through even the lack of enthusiasm and read it anyway and find ultimate blessing in it. Even this is from God. So we can see here that before we can follow out the command to work out our sanctification, we have to have the desire for that sanctification. And that desire comes from God. So he wills in us. He gives us the desire for that sanctification, but he also then works for produces works in us for his good pleasure. The Greek word for work here has the same idea as energy. So we can see in this passage that God gives us the desire in our hearts to honor him and to grow in sanctification. He gives us the energy or literally the, the ability to make progress in our sanctification. So as we read this this morning, and again, this is not just some helpful ideas for a church that lived 1,000, 2,000 years ago. This is important information for our lives today. And as we seek to apply these truths to our own heart, we need to understand the context that they're, that they're written in. This text was written to a group of people who loved God, who had placed their trust in Him for the forgiveness of their sins. that had a relationship with God and shared in joy of working alongside others to share that gospel with other people. And this salvation was the foundation of their very lives. Indeed, without this saving faith, nothing that Paul writes here would be of any value to them. Apart from knowing Christ and his power working in you, you cannot become a better person. So if you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with God, if you have not placed your trust in Christ's work on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are still in your sins. And you are not waiting for salvation. You're waiting for judgment from God. And in your state, these verses mean nothing to you. Because you cannot work hard enough to be good enough to please God. No matter how good you try to be, there will still be sins in your life that will one day leave you guilty before the sovereign Lord of this universe. You need Christ today. He died in your place to save you from your sins. By recognizing your sin and turning from it and seeking forgiveness in Him, you will be saved And then, as a child of God, you can seek to grow in Him by the power that He provides in your life. But if you're here this morning and saying, I have trusted in Christ, I am a child of God, then my question for you this morning is, in the progress of your sanctification, as we walk down this road of sanctification in our lives, which ditch might you have a tendency to fall into? Because in this road of sanctification, on one side there is a ditch in which we say, my spiritual growth depends on my efforts. It depends all on me. We would call this legalism. As we seek to please God and honor Him by our own efforts and our own merit, by doing these things that are good and avoiding these things that are bad, this is legalism. And it's a ditch on the road of sanctification. On the other side of the road is another ditch Or we could say, you know what? God is the one who produces spiritual growth in my life and there's nothing I can do about it so I'm going to just sit back and let him work. This is a passive approach to sanctification and it is also a ditch in the road. Now we have to understand here, this text before us says we do need to work for our sanctification. But it also says we have to rely on God who's working in us. And there's some tension here between these two truths. But again, this is God's word that he brings before us this morning. And so we have to seek to submit to that truth and seek to honor it in our lives. So we are called to work out our sanctification relying on the grace that God supplies. We must seek to avoid the ditches and realize both of these truths in our lives as we seek to grow more and more like Him. Now you might ask the question, well, how do I know if I'm in one of the ditches? Well, for one, if you find yourself exerting no effort in your sanctification then you're in the passive ditch. (laughs) And you need to just heed God's call here to work out your sanctification. But probably the bigger question for more of us is, as I am working out my sanctification, is it my own effort? Am I relying on myself? Or am I relying on the grace that God supplies in my life? How can we know the difference? And I think the difference is seen in where your focus is. Do you continually talk to God about the struggles you have in your life? Do you pray to him and ask for different desires? Do you pray to him and ask him for strength and for grace to overcome sin in your life? In our prayer lives, we seek the face of God and we demonstrate our reliance on him. And this is one of the evidences that we are striving, not in our own strength, but in the grace that God provides in our lives, So we see here God has called us to sanctification for us to work out as he is working in. But then we see beginning in verse 14 an example of what sanctification looks like. Now there are many ways that we could grow in sanctification. There's many ways as we read the text of scripture we can say, ooh, that convicts me, that challenges me to grow and change. But Paul here focuses on just one example. He says beginning in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul here in these verses points the Philippians to the example of Israel wandering in the wilderness in the Old Testament. God called the Israelites a crooked and twisted generation because they were the ones who resisted God and grumbled and disputed with him. And Paul tells the Philippians, I see grumbling and disputing in you. In this disunity that's in your church, I see grumbling and disputing. This, this grumbling and disputing, this, this disunity is spoken specifically in chapter 4, verse 2. But throughout this book, we see Paul calling them to unity, which suggests that there's an issue with unity in this church. The Philippians clearly are struggling with grumbling and disputing. How about you? Are there issues of grumbling and disputing in your own life? Maybe as you think about your life here in this church, are there relationships that you have with other people in this church that could be best described as disunity within the body of Christ? Or are there just things that happen here at Eden that you just like to grumble and complain about? Maybe it's not the church. Maybe it's at work. Or maybe it's within your family. Or maybe it's with your neighbor. Or someone else in the community are you someone who grumbles and complains? We might ask the question, what's the problem with grumbling and complaining? Well, as Israel wandered through the wilderness, they often grumbled and disputed with Moses. What is really going on here? Israel ultimately is not trusting God to meet their needs. And so they argue with Moses, they, they doubt his leadership in their lives, and they complain about their terrible state of affairs. Their lack of trust, their lack of faith in God to care for them resulted in God's judgment in their lives. And Paul gives this as an example to the Philippians, and it's an example for us today to consider. So, how can the Philippians grow in sanctification? How can you and I grow in sanctification? The answer that Paul gives us here is, is do all things without grumbling or disputing. So I might ask you, why do you grumble and complain? And you probably can give me a a whole host of reasons why you grumble and complain. You can say maybe, well, this boss is particularly difficult to work with. Or in this situation, I was treated really unfairly. Or I've been put into the situation that I just don't deserve. Okay, there's, a, there's a number of different reasons why we can explain away why we grumble and complain. But when we, all, when we boil it down, the real reason why any of us grumble and complain is because we don't trust God. We doubt His care for us by putting us in the, the situation in the first place, or we doubt His ability to redeem the situation for His good purposes. So if grumbling and disputing is a faithless act, then sanctified living will have no grumbling or disputing. You might say, well, I'm not at that level yet. Neither am I. Pretty sure the person sitting next to you probably isn't there either. And we can see clearly that the Philippians had a struggle in this area as well. So as we think about this then, the real question we as Christians have to ask ourselves is, when we notice areas in our lives that do not mirror the godliness that we see in Christ, what do we do? When we're convicted of sin in our lives, what do we do about it? Well, we could minimize it. We could say, you know, there is a whole lot of things that people do in sin against God i'm just grumbling i'm not doing anything about it i'm just complaining that's not that big of a deal or we can maybe postpone it and say you know what i know i know i shouldn't be grumbling and complaining but you know what this is a really stressful situation right now so don't talk to me about it i'll deal with it later or we can head off into a ditch and say you know what uh I, am, I know that God is sovereign over all things, including my sanctification, and so I'm going to let him work in my life and fix this, and I'm just going to sit back, maybe watch an episode of my favorite TV show off of Netflix or Hulu or something, and, uh, and I'll let God worry about it. Or we can get to work. And we can work hard with the grace that God supplies in our lives to see our lives changed. So we can see ultimately this is where sanctification comes into our lives. We recognize the sin or the area in our lives that don't mirror Christ and then we strive to see our lives changed by the grace that God works in us so that we can grow more and more to become like him. Why is this important? Well, Paul tells the Philippians, You live in a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. The Philippians lived in Philippi, a very pagan city full of plenty of sin and rebellion against God. And we live here, in our day, in our culture, where people do not honor Christ with their lives. In this sinful world, we find our residence. So this is where we find ourselves in. We live in this crooked and perverse generation. Paul then encourages them and says, you shine as lights in the world. We see here, there are plenty of examples of people Around us who are in rebellion against God, who disregard God and doubt His authority and doubt His love and care for us. There's plenty of examples of that in this world. We live in a world that's dark with sin. And here we are, God's children, whom He has transformed by the gospel. We are His new creation, which does not follow the world's example of godlessness but rather is to demonstrate in our lives the light of the gospel and its transforming effect in our lives. We do so by trusting God and living for his glory. And so we don't grumble and dispute. And we're different from the people in this world. And why are we different? Because we trust God. We know that he will care for us regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. Therefore, we faithfully wait on him. This truth lived out is a light in a dark world. And it provides us opportunity to share the gospel with this world. And this is just one example of sanctification that we need in our lives. I know I need it. It is possible to live without grumbling and disputing. But remember, it is God who wills and works for his good pleasure. So I encourage you this morning to grow in, the area, in this area that we might be examples of Christ to this world. So we've seen this call to sanctification, we working out as God works in. We've seen this example of what sanctification looks like living without grumbling and disputing. And finally this morning we see in verses 16 through 18 the glory and the joy of sanctification. We read in verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I, I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. We do not have time this morning, unfortunately, to dive deep into these verses and to consider their rich meaning for us. But we will notice here that Paul mentions what is the most important thing in his ministry. At the end of it all, what will really matter? And Paul tells the Philippians, what matters most is your godly life. God's sanctifying work in your life results in you holding fast to the word of life. God's grace in you means you won't fall away. You continue to hold the gospel out to a lost and dying world. You continue to shine as lights in this world. God's grace sustains you and as you become more and more like him. Paul tells them, your godly life is evidence that God was at work in and through me in my ministry to you my labors were blessed by God and brought him glory and Paul finds joy in this he finds joy in seeing others work uh, come to honor Christ and work and as God works in their hearts and re, they respond to his ministry and serve God so Paul says here i find joy when you The people I have ministered to are serving God. But furthermore, Paul mentions here that he is willing to even be poured out as a drink offering. And scholars here debate as to whether this means just Paul's willingness to suffer in general for the church or whether it speaks specifically of his willing to die for their faith. But regardless, what we see here is that Paul is willing to suffer greatly and even die if need be in order to support and build up the ministry of the Philippians as they seek to honor God through their own trials and sufferings. So we can see in this relationship between Paul and the Philippians here, Paul is willing to suffer so that they can grow in their sanctification in the midst of their suffering. We can see in this relationship here that sanctification isn't ultimately a personal thing, but it's a corporate thing. Now, while, yes, our relationship with God is a personal one, and we seek to understand our own hearts and to grow in sanctification as individuals, Sanctification is a very important thing for us to do individually. Yet God has given us the community of believers where we can seek to minister to one another and grow in this process of sanctification together. And as we do, as we seek to minister to each other in this process, we can rejoice as we see sins defeated and as we see godliness grow in one another's lives. We can rejoice in our efforts to see the gospel go out to a lost and dying world as it results in lives changed as people surrender to him and begin to live for his glory. Our ministry may at times result in suffering. Or our ministry may just happen in the midst of suffering. But even here, this is something that we can gladly welcome that we might join in the joy of growing in Christ together. We come this morning to the Lord's table. And as we do, we come here to remember and to celebrate the act of God that made all of this possible. We come here this morning and are reminded of God's love for us that compelled him to humble himself and take on flesh and joyfully suffer that we may have life. If you are here today and you do not know Christ, I pray that God would allow you to see the great love with which he loves you through the truths that we've considered this morning together and also in this remembrance that you will watch us observe in just a few minutes. God can save you from your sin. He can welcome you into His family. He can cause you to grow and change along with the rest of us as we seek to become more and more like Him as we await that day when we will see Him face to face. And Eden, what a blessing it is to know Christ. We can rejoice in this blessing as we partake of the Lord's Supper this morning. But yet, as we seek to go from here, what a blessing it is as well for us to have the body of Christ together. We will continue to struggle with sin. All of us will. But God has called us together to grow in our sanctification, to work out our sanctification We see that salvation is clearly displayed in this table. But the fruits of salvation should be becoming more and more clear in our lives as we seek to become more and more like Him. So Eden, let's labor together with the strength that God provides to become more and more like Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for these truths. And Lord, we confess that we know that in our own strength, we are not sufficient for these things. Lord, we know our own hearts. We know the sins with which we struggle. And apart from you, we cannot overcome these things. But Lord, we ask that you would supply the grace that we need to overcome. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us desire and that you would give us a fervor that we might work hard to grow in sanctification and that you would bless our labors together with one another. Lord, that you would build up this church, that you would sanctify the hearts of people here and that you would bring glory and honor to your name in doing so. We ask this in your name. Amen.